ever wondered who and what is shaping Luxembourg? This is your Lux Unplugged podcast with your hosts, Adrian and Thierry. Hi, I'm Adrian. Welcome back to another episode of the Luxembourg podcast. This week, I'm talking to Olaf Cordes, co-managing director at Luxembourg. Luxembourg, not pronounced Luxembourg in English, is an investment company based in Luxembourg with well-established roots in the local ecosystem. For a bit more background, I highly advise our listeners to refer back to our episode with Stefan Pesch from the Luxembourg Private Equity Association, where we discuss in more detail the private equity landscape in Luxembourg. In this episode, however, we don't talk about the technicalities relating to private equity, but more about the philosophy behind Luxembourg and its way of operating. Indeed, this firm is listed in Luxembourg, so subject to strict governance rules inherent in publicly listed businesses, but at the same time, still very much controlled by the founding family. In addition to capturing Olaf's pulse on the Luxembourg economy, I thought his story on his recent return to Luxembourg after spending three decades abroad was quite intriguing. Indeed, the Grand Duchy is fiercely competing for the best talent, especially in the private equity space, where the big hubs are normally based in major European cities like London or Paris. Finally, young listeners aspiring to a career in private equity might heed Olaf's key lessons in that industry. But now, without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Olaf Cordes, co-managing director at Luxembourg. Olaf, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you. Before we kick off our insightful conversation of ours, so our listeners know that we've got a very established tradition on the show in terms of you know, finding out who we're talking to. So before we talk about Luxembourg, how would you introduce yourself? Um, yes, so my name is Olaf Cordes. I am uh, of uh, German origin, but I grew up in Luxembourg and I am a Luxembourger since my 18th birthday. I left for a business school in France and spent actually 30 years in, in France and uh, all over Europe um, doing financial investments and joined uh, nearly two years ago uh, a Luxembourgish investment company called Luxembourg. Uh, who I have the chance to head together with my with my colleague John Penning. And uh, prior to joining Luxembourg, I actually spent most of my career with uh, another private equity fund called Alpha, uh, which invested in, let's say, industrial and service companies uh, throughout continental Europe. And I'm very happy, actually, to be back in Luxembourg after 30 years of absence. So before we talk about your return to Luxembourg and, of course, your more recent endeavor, so what made you choose private equity in the first place as a, yeah, as a career choice? Well, coming out of business school, I was um, attracted by, by uh, let's say, financial, the financial world. And uh, my father actually worked as a trader, uh, but I, I felt like uh, uh, you were lacking a little bit the contact to the real world. And uh, during my various internships, uh, during, during business school, I also worked in the investment banking where where as well I felt like I was uh, sort of lacking the the contact to the real companies and uh, and as such uh, having the chance to after five years of my the first step in my career going to to private equity um, was for me actually a no-brainer in the sense that to me it's the most complete job if you want to work in finance um, because you, 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 you take the decision to invest in a company, but, but then the thing is not over. You know, in finance, it's uh, very often technical. You do a, 
either an assignment or, or one project and then you lose contact with actually the results. You, you give some recommendations and then it stops. While in private equity, actually, many people are happy when you do a deal, but that's not exactly the, the important thing. The important thing is um, when you sell the company five, ten years later and uh, making a capital gain and having seen how the company has developed over the time while you were investing in it, it's, um, it's, uh, it's actually most gratifying and it also allows you during that time to um, to face actually numerous aspects uh, which go well beyond the finance. You have strategic issues, you, you have human resource issues, you have, it's, it's a very, very complete management job actually, which is um, very interesting. Now, when I joined the private equity fund, I wasn't really uh, aware of all this, but uh, with hindsight, I'm, I'm actually quite lucky to have chosen this path. As you just said, you, you spent some time in, in, you know, working for a private equity fund before moving back to Luxembourg. But about your experience that you that you had at Alpha, so the Alpha private equity um, a stint, I mean, not a stint, but your journey at this company. What were your takeaways from this two-decade experience? You know, Alpha is as uh, many other investment funds actually. So we don't invest in 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 the stock exchange. We invest really in private companies like. like private equity, which means you, you buy companies, you try to develop them by making available more monies for them to invest or to, to buy out competitors and so on. And then you, you, you sell them after having held them for five to 10 years. So uh, Alpha was doing exactly that in uh, what we call the, uh, the mid-market segment. So um, companies which are making roughly 100 to 300 million euros in sales and uh, where the whole um, issue is actually to take hopefully a national champion and bring him to a European level. Um, I joined Alpha back in 1998 at the time when private equity was not yet uh, um, that well known. Uh, everybody was talking about uh, internet and clicks and so on because you remember the internet bubble which just burst after after the year 2000. Um, and, and I had the chance actually to be recruited by the two founding partners of Alpha, uh, Alain Blanbrude and Nicolas Weyhulst, um, uh, who took me on quite young and, and they really have become mentors. And I think the, the two most important elements they taught me that it's all about entrepreneurship on the one hand side and uh, what I call scars, i.e. experience. Um, investing in companies, uh, taking monies that have been granted to you by investors, um, well, it puts a lot of responsibility on your shoulders because you, you, well, you don't want to lose the money, even though investing always bears some risks. And, uh, and so it's, it's all about experience and making uh, the best possible choices in order to develop the companies you invest in. So it's also this, this entrepreneurship, which is important and which then again, touches upon various aspects, as I just mentioned before. So it's, um, what, what they taught me is that you, you need to, to try to not make the same mistake twice. That's basically all it boils down to. So all, all that valuable experience that you learned, as you said, just uh, not making mistakes uh, twice in, in entrepreneurship. So all this then brought you back to, to Luxembourg, where, as you said earlier, you joined uh, Luxembourg uh, as the 
co-managing director within the firm. But before we actually dive into the core of Luxembourg, first of all, what is Luxembourg and how would you describe its mission in the, in the Luxembourg ecosystem? Well, Luxembourg is an investment company which uh, actually happens to be listed. Uh, it is uh, family controlled um, because we have a, a stable core of, uh, let's say, three shareholder groups which uh, uh, control 80% of the company. And the majority of, of Luxembourg is actually controlled by um, an entity called Foyer Finance, which is held by the the family, which is also the majority shareholder of uh, Foyer Group, you know, the insurance company. And Luxembourg has joined actually the, the Foyer Galaxy, let's say, because it's not so much that we are in the group, uh, we are, let's say, alongside the group. Uh, but it has been uh, 30 years now that Luxembourg is, uh, is uh, in, that, in that constellation. And because this year we are going to celebrate the 100th anniversary of Foyer and the 30th anniversary of uh, Luxembourg joining, um, joining this galaxy. Um, and it was actually an investment at the time, which was to diversify uh, Foyer's uh, activities. Um, you know, Luxembourg is a great country, but nevertheless, a, not that large a market. And uh, that's worth for, for everything, probably, except asset management, which can grow beyond anything. But let's say insurance, you can only insure people so many times. Uh, so, so it's a small market. So at the time, Francois Tesch, when he was CEO of uh, Foyer, decided that he should, uh, he should um, diversify, diversify the business and had the opportunity to buy Luxembourg uh, from uh, Banque Internationale uh, à Luxembourg because it used to be called Bill Participation. And, uh, and so the business uh, actually of Luxembourg is to invest in private equity transactions. Uh, we do so uh, through two means, basically. Um, Luxembourg has uh, net assets of roughly 2 billion euros, a small quarter of which is what we call fund investments. So we invest in private equity funds, which have a strategy that we cannot cover directly within our team, which means that it's usually um, diversified. So we try to invest in funds which cover, for instance, North America or Asia. But there are also um, funds which invest in more, uh, let's say, early stage venture capital investments or what we call growth investments, i.e. Um, businesses which are still very young and have very high growth prospects in uh, opposition to, uh, let's say, the usual buyout business where you invest already in uh, long-established companies, which is what we do in the larger part of our business, i.e. roughly the three-quarter of the net asset value, which is, uh, which is buyouts. Uh, so we, we invest in businesses which have uh, great growth opportunities, but which are already established, which... Uh, make, uh, I don't know, sales of, um, let's say, above 50, uh, 50 million euros, and uh, which we then can also help develop uh, over time. So what, what is important, actually, is this family-controlled uh, aspect of it, because uh, even though we are a listed company, there is a, there's really this entrepreneurial culture, um, and more importantly, so the, the long-term view. 
when I was um, when I was hired, um, some of the board members told me that I should actually try to find the next insurer, i.e., a company which we do not expect to sell even in the long run, because um, it's it's um, it's really a, an entrepreneurial venture venture, sorry where we want to uh, want to develop the companies with no time horizon, which is a real difference um, to many of the private equity players who have uh, usually an investment horizon of uh, three to five years, um, while we really stay for the long term. And uh, for us, long term is not a short term investment, which went sour, but it's it's really to to see the businesses thrive over time. Now, um, you were so kind as to ask us, ask me whether it was unique. No, definitely not. I mean, there are other players around the, in Europe and also in Luxembourg who do this. Um, but the other aspect which is important to Luxembourg is that we are listed. Um, we, this has two consequences. The first one is the governance is very professional. We have a board which is approving in the investments, uh, which is w- working very... Um, intensively with uh, management uh, in uh, identifying, questioning, and in the end, approving the investments. Um, But it is also important for another aspect because um, we speak a lot these days about the um, democratization of private equity. Uh, You know, private equity uh, used to be limited to, um, let's say, professional investors. Uh, institutional investors who had the means to write big checks and uh, invest millions of euros in a fund, and which is usually not for the uh, well for the individual, even though the asset class of private equity is very interesting in the overall financial markets, and um, well buying shares in Luxembourg gives you actually access to the private equity space. So um, that is very, uh, very interesting for us as well. You were saying that you, you wanted to make it more accessible. So the private equity asset class, you wanted to make it more accessible to retail. Let's say Do you have a breakdown of your shareholders. Are they, are they in majority or in great majority retail people or is it more institutionals? Uh, I would re- we, we don't have uh, access to this information uh, because the Luxembourg Stock Exchange, I don't think that it does these sort of um, analysis. I know that in France it exists, but I, I'm not sure whether, whether LuxSE does it. What we know from experience is that beyond these three uh, larger shareholder groups, uh, most of the other shareholders are probably individuals which keep the, the shares for quite some time because they enjoy, well, increase in in the share price but they also enjoy a very steady and growing dividend so um, it is a share which is uh, uh, usually quite attractive to to retail investors if i may say moving on to um, a question i mean we did we did discuss it offline before kicking off this uh, this conversation but of course again luxembourg uh, a lot of its existence revolves around also its uh, key participation in in the insurance groups of foyer I mean, for some that are familiar with um, groups like yours or similar groups like yours may, may sometimes draw a parallel with Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway, where essentially holding insurance companies in its portfolio has been key to its, to its long-term success for multiple reasons. 
what begs the question for me is to what extent is it important for Luxembourg to have a, a large stake in an insurance company like uh, like Foyer? Well, insurance is a very good business, uh, first of all. Um, it's, 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 it's profitable, even though, uh, uh, obviously there are, there is some volatility. Uh, I mean, COVID has shown that and, you know, last year, unfortunately, the country was also affected by the, the large floods in, uh, in July, uh, which obviously put some strain on the, on the operations because we needed to. Uh, indemnify as quickly as possible all the poor people who, who have been affected by this uh, by this disaster. Um, but but nevertheless, insurance is a very stable and yet growing business because there's always opportunity to actually uh, cover new risks because uh, every day new risks arise. Like these days, uh, for instance, we talk a lot about cybersecurity and so on, and how to how to um, protect yourself against such risks. Um, so it's a, it's an innovative yet uh, stable and growing business, and and for us we benefit from from the dividends paid by the insurance company, um, and and as such it gives us a stable visibility uh, on on a, a portion of our business, and to some extent uh, um, the possibility to reinvest these funds into into other investment projects. But it's not not really comparable to. You were so kind as to compare us to Berkshire Hathaway, but it's it's not exactly the same, not yet at least. You mentioned earlier actually that there's some there's some aspects that, that make uh, Luxembourg quite unique in its in its operational uh, structure, and and you did mention as well that you are co-sharing the leadership role that you have now with uh, John Penning, so you're the other managing director within Luxembourg. What's Striking to me as a question is, so for a company that's, um, I, I believe, still less than 30 employees at this very minute, or maybe you, you might you might say a bit more, why why is it then important um, to have such a, a duo leadership role as part of a governance structure in a, in a listed company like yours? Well, you know, Luxembourg has a culture, actually, of collegial decisions. Um, we work very intensively with our board. Uh, and even within the structure and beyond the level of the managing directors, it's, it's really a, a collegial approach, um, which is comparable to what you see also in, uh, let's say, the, the, the competing private equity funds, where it's usually partnerships, where, where all the partners are uh, implicated in the decision-making process. And, and to me, it's, it's actually fundamental in the sense that uh, private equity is all about taking risks. You invest the monies which have been, well, in our case, given by our shareholders, um, but in a private equity fund, it's the investors who provide the, the money um, and you need to invest them. Uh, investing means taking risks. Uh, which also means that risks actually can materialize. So um, when we look at a new investment opportunity, we I'm a big believer in actually um, adding competencies and uh, adding intelligences is multiplying them, not just adding them. And so we are actually much better to, to identify uh, potential risks or potential opportunities as well. You know... Um, 
to me, the sport which um, covers best or which is the best example uh, is, is one which I love and I used to play, which is rugby. Um, a rugby team is made up of very different people, um, but it has the same approach of a, of a pack and we're all advancing together and everybody can contribute. So um, having everybody in the, in the structure speaking up, um, helping to, and I don't want to focus too much on risks, but it's, it's also about opportunities. I mean, during, during the time we hold uh, an investment, we have problems every week, uh, good problems or bad problems. Um, so we, we need people actually to, to, to tackle and potentially settle these problems uh, and to help the company strive. So we, we need to, to have everybody work in the right direction and, and, and be actually um, associated to the success. And we also need when, unfortunately, risks materialize, we need to make sure that it was a collegial decision at the beginning because then there is no finger pointing when the things, unfortunately, might turn sour at one point in time. Um, uh, plus, but that's by no means reducing him to that, uh, John is actually part of the family, uh, and and so he he brings in the family legitimacy um, to the table, and that helps enormously when we talk to entrepreneurs, because um, you know we're just a financial investor like anybody else. Um, we tell people that we have a long-term approach, we have a, we have an entrepreneurial approach, but people might just you know put it down to, yeah, yeah, but that's commercial speech. Um, as soon as they see um, that we really live it and that we have concrete examples to do so and that they see a representative of the family actually being involved in day-to-day -day management, it helps a lot um, generating new deal opportunities and bringing people to, to, to uh, be more willing to work with Luxembourg rather than with um, whatever other fund. That makes me think of another example because um, now, now I was drawing a parallel with um, Berkshire Hathaway the, uh, just just a few moments ago, but now I, that makes me think of another one linked to Bridgewater's, one of the biggest hedge funds in the world, where they use, I think, the method called constant dotting. So they dot each other, all the teams making investment decisions or having a thesis, it gets put down to, to the vote essentially whether, you know, whether it's good or, or bad. And I was just wondering, you know, have you got uh, have you got like a flat structure similar to, to that where where you as you take collective risk or you make a collective decisions, is is it also structured in a way that you've got collective feedback or instant feedback coming back in the way you, you operate? Yeah, I think that's really inherent to our business. I mean, the, the way it works is as soon as we get in a new deal opportunity or uh, internally, if we identify a new target company, we run it. Uh, uh, through um, an instance which we call uh, the sourcing committee uh, to which everybody in the investment team i.e. roughly of uh, half of the of the company is associated to and it's it's important because as i mentioned earlier on it's it's all about experience uh, so it's it's also for the younger people we want the younger people to speak up we want the younger people to be motivated, but we also want to train them and try to, uh, let's say, transmit some of this experience. And most of the, or, or, or the best way, at least we have found up to today, is also to share 
why we don't like a given transaction. So, so that's when it, it becomes very, uh, let's say that's very broad. Uh, as soon as we then decide that we want to pursue an opportunity, we, well, we dedicate a team to, to look at it uh, more in depth. But once again, I mean, having only one office here in Le Lange is, is actually everybody is associated to it because they are aware since the beginning that we are working on this opportunity. And then we run it through different instances, uh, uh, which in the end culminate with obviously a board decision. But let's say until the board, um, the whole investment team is kept abreast about uh, progress, um, issues, uh, advantages, and so on. So no, we, we are, uh, information needs to circulate uh, freely in order to, to get the best out of everybody. Now, talking about making decisions and processing information um, across, uh, across the team, I was very um, curious to understand if, I mean, you alluded to it just earlier about having holdings in Luxembourg in general, but, uh, and, and if you're still interested in, in, in investing in the market, which you clearly are. But still, I think in terms of the whole framework that is in place, how does, um, would you have a different decision-making process for the Luxembourg market specifically because of its, of its uh, own parameters, its own attributes, because it's small and it's got other, other uh, attributes that other countries may not have? And knowing that you also invest in, in neighboring countries, first and foremost, how do you approach those geographies in general? I, I, I wouldn't believe that um, there is a difference in approach um, because we owe the same careful duty to our shareholders if we invest in Luxembourg or elsewhere. Um, you know, we wouldn't want to invest in a company just to help somebody out, uh, which, which might be... Uh, a question if you say well we do a deal in luxembourg where we're established and so on it's 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 not that we we owe careful duty to our shareholders um so it's it's not really a difference obviously being a local player probably helps sourcing opportunities i mean the 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 family is is well introduced uh in in the luxembourg business scene so uh it's probably easier to um to source uh, and and then maybe more quickly also establish bilateral discussions so in order to avoid larger processes um, but but no the difference there is no difference in terms of decision making we are so in the interest of time I, I just wanted to um, touch upon um, a number of uh, you know more additional questions that we you know we like of course asking our guests if there was anything you could change in Luxembourg so what would you change? I don't know if I have the legitimacy to, to talk about that being a, a, a recent impact or having come back recently. But I think there are, there are three elements uh, which, which are important these days. Um, I think the first one is really Luxembourg is a, is a unique country which um, advances all its, uh, its strengths. And one of these, which is uh, usually put forward by, uh, by uh, the politicians, is its stability. Uh, that is true, uh, absolutely. But I think also the Luxembourg should stop excusing itself for being well run. Um, you know, Nicolas Mackel uh, at Luxembourg for Finance is doing a great job at this. Um, I think more people should actually just say, hey, guys, um, 
we are who we are. Uh, we are a well-run country and we don't need to excuse ourselves for being this, which means also we need to to stop shooting ourselves uh, in the foot and um, and uh, try to, you know, uh, um, be cleaner than any, everybody else. It is, uh, Luxembourg has its history. Um, it is what it is. Um, the country has changed tremendously over the last 30 years. And I think we should, we should just start to accredit that and, and recognize it. Um, the second element is that, um, and we spoke about this offline, uh, what, what, what strikes me is that the younger people have difficulties to, to find proper housing, which is an issue. Uh, many people talk about it these days. I think the solutions are not straightforward and not easy, but it should really be a priority for the country to actually house its youth uh, properly because it's the, it's the key point to attract talent. And we want to rely or continue to rely on, on, on people coming to Luxembourg because they bring fresh blood into the country. And we need to make sure that uh, this continues. And the last element, um, I spend a lot of time in France uh, because Luxembourg also hired me to, um, well, to cover France. Um, I have a great, um, great way to get to Paris, which is taking a train. Um, it's more difficult to go elsewhere. So I don't know to what extent this is related still to COVID because I took on my job the day of the lockdown. So maybe that, to some extent that's it. But, uh, um, you know, we are at the crossroads of Europe and Luxembourg is very proud to be at the crossroads of Europe. Unfortunately, today it's not a central node. And I think we need to improve the travel infrastructure there again to attract the talent. Because if it's easy to go back to London, Frankfurt, Munich, Brussels, um, Paris for that matter, but Paris again is easy, it's two hours train. We need to become more of uh, what we have been saying for the last uh, 50 years or so. It is that we are at the heart of Europe, but we need to make it also something where people circulate. And so I think there, there should also be some, uh, given the fact that the country is well run and has the means to invest, uh, it should probably invest in travel infrastructure. One of the great things this current government has done was, was the, the uh, making public transportation free. It was a great initiative. Everybody uses it, maybe not as much as they could, but uh, I mean, it, it went along. The, the thing is, when they decided to, to make, uh, I mean, to, to provide gratuity for this, they also decided to increase actually the frequencies and so on and, 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 and increase the travel network and the infrastructure. And, and it's, I mean, to me, it's a great success. It's a reference in a number of other countries which say, well, Luxembourg has taken that initiative and it actually works. So it's, um, it, it is great, but you need to, to scale it up. Not talking about getting, getting travel for free, but improving the infrastructure and, and try to be more at the heart of Europe as, a, as they claim it as a slogan. As you said, getting to Paris is, is easy, but if you were to get to Brussels <laughs> with, the, with the same kind of infrastructure, it's not, not the same thing. It's still the same old train that, uh, that, takes, uh, that probably covers a third of the distance that uh, that you need to go to Paris, but with way more time. So it's that that's, but that, that doesn't necessarily depend on Luxembourg. I think it also depends on other countries' willingness to to spend that money on on the infrastructure. 
But uh, thank you very much for taking the time to talking to me on the, and, and discussing the role of Luxembourg in, in Luxembourg and also beyond the Grand Duchy's borders. And, and of, of course, I look forward to having you back on the show in the near future so that we can further talk about you know the trends happening in Luxembourg and, of course, the next investment that you're in. Well, it would be uh, lovely. Thank you so much. Thanks, Adrian. Thanks for listening to the Luxembourg podcast. Please share this podcast with friends and family and leave us a review on iTunes. Also, please don't forget to visit our website, luxunplugged.com. And see you next time. Mm-hmm.